0: Our service, where there was a number of people that were responding to the word of the Lord and God's presence. Um, You know, one of the unique things about Christianity is that Christianity is not about um, rules and regulations, as much as some people feel like it is. It's not religion, although God reveals His character, He reveals His moral compass and who He is. He can't help but communicate who He is, and so what is good we learn about from God. What is bad, we learn about from God. But Christianity is not about overcoming good, I mean overcoming bad in living good lives. Christianity is about living with Jesus. And that's a completely different thing because we're not performing rules and rituals to attain merit with God. We are entering into a relationship with the living God who is not some dead prophet or dead great man, but who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's on his throne, right? And so last week we ended the service and we started this message on Reveal Your Kingdom, Jesus. Jesus, reveal what your kingdom looks like. And we were looking in the, in the book of Mark, and we're going to pick that back up again today, but we ended the service just saying, What do you want from Jesus? And we had a, a number of people um, respond with words and encouragements but openness to what jesus wanted to do in their life and so my my challenge to us as we head through this series is that we don't come to the service on sunday mornings just uh to get some teaching or to just hang out with some people but we come to the service to meet with jesus and we say god if you have something for me revelation in my mind uh, encounter with my heart and my emotions, deliverance from uh, some trial or circumstance in my life. Whatever you want to do, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to I be responsive to you. Thanks for praying for me this week. I uh, left after the service on Sunday afternoon to go to Phoenix and um, just got back last night. So spent a week in Phoenix and just want you to know I bragged about it that I was going to go to Phoenix while you were here, and you know what God did? He judged me, because it was rainy and cold in Phoenix all week long. So if you just want to laugh at me, go ahead and laugh at me, because it was so untypical of Phoenix. The last day, yesterday, the sun showed, it came out at, you know, in the morning, and it was 60 or 70 degrees, and I sat out on the porch for like 30 minutes. My flight got canceled. Uh, I was supposed to be on the later flight, and so I had to get on an earlier flight, and I even got my sunshine delay- cut in half. because like American Airlines says, you need to get packed and get up to the airport because you need to get on an earlier flight. So I didn't even get the good sun yesterday um, for, for very long. Are you feeling sorry for me? Yeah. So I just decided, you know what, I'm going to pray. And so God decided He was going to give us 70 degree weather this week. Yeah, so it's oh, coming crap. to Boston. <laughs> Awesome. Well, let's jump right back into Mark. I want to want to pick pick our message up from where we left it last week, right in the middle of Mark. And I'm 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 actually going to jump into what I believe is the kind of the the critical declaration of chapter one, and one of the critical declarations of the whole book of Mark. Um, and so look with me in verse fourteen and fifteen. We've been talking about this King Jesus and his kingdom. And it says this, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news or the good news of the kingdom of God, it says in some of your translations. Verse 15, in the time promised by God has come at last, he announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news or believe the gospel. Um, so Jesus comes on the scene, and early on, and you know, every um, gospel writer order, orders and categorizes the stories in the life of Jesus in a little bit of a different way. But Mark, right off the bat, um, is declaring or communicating to us that we have a new king in a new kind of kingdom, and so you'll see this theme throughout the book of Mark. And not only does he talk about this king and this kingdom, and if you remember from last week, um, he likes to talk about the actions of God. Um, He likes to show us stories and reveal to us who this Jesus is. And he gives us a beautiful picture, lots of stories, about who Christ is and what this kingdom looks like. And he starts it off by saying the kingdom of God, Jesus did, I mean he and he highlights the story of Jesus the kingdom of God is at hand and it is good news good news there is something good happening and the very first thing he says in relation to the good news of the kingdom is repent we talked about this a little bit last week but we'll reemphasize it again repentance Oftentimes, when we hear that word today, we get offended. You're telling me that I need to do something different than I'm. You're telling me that I'm wrong. You're telling me that I'm living the wrong way. You're telling me I'm going the wrong direction. How dare you? I, I, it, it's, my, it's my life. It's my world. It's how, what I want. Um, and Jesus is coming into that world, and He's coming into our world, and He's saying, Yeah, I'm telling you to repent. Because I know what's best for you. Repentance is not a bad word. Basically what repentance means is it means turning away from the things that are um, not like God or the things that God does not like or the things, the reason He doesn't like them is because they destroy our lives. Turning away from the things that destroy our lives and turning to the giver of life. Turning to the things that uh, God loves, that God desires because He knows that they will build life, peace, joy, happiness into our life. But at the core of that is not just the stuff, but it's the allegiance to whoever dictates that stuff. Repentance is not just about stopping a bad activity. Repentance is not about turning our life around and doing a good activity. This is how I started the message this morning. But repentance is about saying, I am turning over my life to the author of life that is good. That is ultimate repentance. And Jesus is saying, good news. The author of life is here. As John talked about it in his first chapter of his gospel, he says, the Word was was with God and the Word was God. Jesus, the author of the world, the Word is with you. Repent. Repent. Repent from your way of living. Repent from your allegiance to this world. Repent from your allegiance to your own choice and your own governing of your life and turn to me. And if you do, this is good news. This is the gospel. The gospel in the Greek... um, means, there's two root words, you and angelion, and you means joyful, and angelion or is a root word of angelos, which means announcing news, so joyful announcing of news, that's why some translations say good news, it's the joyful proclamation of good news, during that time that that word was used to proclaim events or people that surrounded events that were Changing something that we're bringing about a significant change. There was an inscription about um, during that time that said the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And what was that saying? That inscription was saying that we are announcing the joyful news of the birth and the coronation of our Roman emperor, the gospel of Caesar Augustus. So when Mark says, or when Jesus says, "Excuse me," and Mark quotes him and says. Behold, I'm bringing you the gospel. Good news. They would know what he's talking about. And he's putting himself on on par with the emperor. And he's going to go on in his life. But it's not about this world's kingdom that I'm bringing good news. It's about another kingdom that supersedes this kingdom. It was a revolutionary kind of declaration to call Jesus bearer of the gospel or the gospel of of Jesus and his Lordship. But he did. He came to change life. He came to bring good news. This morning, as we were praying over the service, and we I just started off our time with our leaders and said, Hey, tell me, tell me where Jesus has been in your life this week. Give me a story of where how Jesus has intersected your life this week. We started sharing some stories, and Pierce shared a story I want to share with you because it was so encouraging in in, in light of what we're going to talk about this morning. But Pierce is a chaplain at at a prison and he was talking to one of the the prisoners um, there and the prisoner relayed this story and he's a newer prisoner, he's only been around for a few months and he said, you know, when I was being sentenced, uh, when I was at, at court to be sentenced for my... My crime, and as a result, he was put in a prison. I was around other inmates, and there was another inmate there that was coming up for review on whether or not he was going to be released or not. And he had been in prison for many, many years. And as they were sitting beside each other, they hadn't interchanged; they didn't know each other. And um, this newer prisoner uh, was. Interacting with this older prisoner, and the older prisoner, before there was even a sentence, uh, uh, before there was ever even a sentence rendered, he said, "You know what? I'm at peace." And the newer prisoner was like, "What in the world is he talking about?" And he later on he later went on to describe to Pierce that when he was near this man and when he was talking to this man, he said there was a bright light on this man's body. He said, I, as a matter of fact, I looked around at, at, at the other prisoners and said, do you see what I'm seeing? And, it, and it, his, his, his thought was that nobody else saw it, but he saw it. And he connected it with the thought of this piece. Well, fast forward and um, what we realized, what, what, what this young man realized, or this new prisoner realized, I don't know how old he was, was that this, this long-term prisoner had found Jesus in prison. And he was kind of the Bible study leader for his cell block or his group of people that he was around. He was respected as one who who studied the Word of God. But more than that, he was respected as one who had been with Jesus. And he was walking in a freedom. He was walking in a joy. He was walking in a peace that he communicated and he extended to this man who was just now coming in to prison. He had experienced good news. Great news. Have you experienced good news in Jesus? Have you been walking with Jesus this week? Have you been experiencing the life of Christ? Because Jesus is not just good news for one moment. He's not just good news for 2,000 years ago. He's not just good news some of the time, but He is good news all the time. Somebody say, Jesus is good news. Now look at somebody else and tell them, "Hey, Jesus is good news. And if you don't think that they meant it, set up an appointment with them afterwards and talk to them about how good Jesus is. All right. So, let's look at what this good news looks like for you and me. Look on in verse 16. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who is Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets, and he called to them at once. And they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. We've got a few things that we want to look at here, but when we experience the good news of Jesus, uh, the very first thing that happens or the first thing that we are aware of is that Jesus is the one calling us. It was very unusual in that day and time for the student to be called out by the rabbi. The students usually were the ones that would go find the rabbi that they would want to study under. They're the ones that sought out the teacher. But Jesus was turning the script. He was communicating I am the one that is inviting you into my life. I am calling you to, to be with me. I'm calling you to learn from me. And there was something so dramatic and so radical about who Jesus was. We, have, we, have, we don't really know, even as we study all four Gospels, whether or not there was a relationship with Jesus before this calling happened, if it was like the first time they met him or if they knew him for a while before it happened. But whatever the case They either knew Him or knew enough about Him or encountered something so supernatural when that happened that they realized that the priorities or the order of their life went like this. Jesus and then everything else. We know later that they went back to fishing. They didn't give up fishing for life. We know that they hung out with their family. It wasn't like they were leaving their family for life. But what Jesus said to them is that right now and for the rest of your life, the number one priority for you is being a follower of me. And so we, we stop and we pause as believers in the room today and we say, Jesus, where are you as a priority in my life? Where are you in regards to my family? And I've had numerous conversations with um, people who have journeyed in faith with Jesus and it's especially difficult Uh, for those of us in the room who have encountered Jesus' calling in our life, but our family doesn't agree with it. Our family doesn't get it. It's hard enough when our family is indifferent to the call of Jesus. I, I think about this, especially as the NLT describes it, and I'm thinking about Zebedee. You know, Zebedee's out there, they're mending nets, and all of a sudden his sons are out of the boat, and he's like, what's going on? There's some work to do here. Hey, hey, sons, where are you going? You know, I'm sure that there was some kind of human interaction there. He, he was a sailor. Who knows if he even said it that kindly. <laughs> he wasn't happy about the leaving. But there was a call. And there was a, a recognition that in this season, at this time, there's no greater place I could be than following and walking with the Master Jesus. It's hard. At the very least, it's very difficult when they're indifferent, but when family are angry, upset with the call of Jesus. I'm so encouraged and so strengthened by the testimony of many of you in this room as I've heard your story and recognize that you sit in this room um, at a cost. You identify with Christ with a cost. That uh, when Jesus said... You know, it's blessed. Those of you who have given up family and homes and and, and, and moms and dads, friends, family and homes to follow me, there's a cost, and yet there also is, as you know, a blessing. But you will return, you will receive a hundredfold in return of the blessing of following Christ. When we sit in the room even today and we we respond to the call of Jesus, we also think about our own careers and our own journeys you know, it's really hard for us to imagine that God would call us to sacrifice or call us to a place of being willing to sacrifice all to follow him. How could he do that? Why would he do that? That seems so demanding, that seems so unrealistic. The only reason that God would do that is that he knows that there's something better on the other side. He would never he's he's not a bad father. The scripture tells us that God is a good father, that he's he's a father that gives us good gifts. He would never, it says, give us a, a, you know, a stone for a piece of bread. You know. He's giving us the better part of the deal. But there are times when it looks like the laying down of something is not going to be the greater return. But Jesus is always the greater return. It might not be, at the times, the greater temporal return. But the eternal return, the lifelong return, The return of peace, the return of joy, the return of happiness and encouragement in Christ is always a better return than if we hold on to our life. What does he say? That those who want to gain their life will lose it and receive it back in him much better than we left it. The second thing he said is is that I'm going to show you how to be fishers of men. So what is Jesus doing? He's calling, right? He's casting out the hook. He's calling in Peter. He's calling in John. He's calling in Mark. He's calling in Andrew. He's He's casting his hook and he's calling people to himself because he knows he has something wonderful for them if they'll come and follow him. And he's saying, I'm not just calling you to be around me. And to be caught by me and to be delivered and built up by me. What is he saying? I'm calling you to me so that you can learn how to call others to me. That's called evangelism. Or in our world today, because people don't like it, they call it proselytizing. Forget about those words, change the definition. With the same result, when you find a good deal at Kohl's, shoppers, any <laughs> shoppers in the room, and you find out that there are some jeans on sale that look good and they don't cost a lot, and if you use the extra coupon, even better, you shoppers out there, are you telling your friends about the jeans at Kohl's? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? You sports fans out there, when you read the morning, I used to say newspaper, when you read the morning headlines on your favorite sports section, you realize that you just, your, your team just made a blockbuster deal, and you got LeBron. <laughs> you telling anybody? You telling anybody that the Celtics just got LeBron? It didn't happen, I'm just, it's, it's a rumor, give <laughs> Are you, okay, Kyrie, well, are you telling anybody? Absolutely, you're telling everybody. You're telling everybody you can about what? The good news. Listen, all those things are going to fade away. I can promise you jeans are going to wear out. Although these days when they wear out, they're even more expensive. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Oh, but things will wear out. News will die out. Teams will change. Bank accounts will go up and down. But the good news of Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is the beginning and the end, who is the one who created us for relationship and eternal life, is it worth it to us to be evangelists for Jesus? You're going to read on here a little bit later as we, as we race through the rest of this chapter, and you're going to realize that when people come in contact with Jesus and something happens in their life, they can't help but tell people about Jesus. You know how I can tell the life, the health of the life of a church, and I'm not going to give us a rating today, but you can rate it yourself, is when there is a buzz in the room about people wanting to talk about Jesus. And when there are people in the room that are fresh into an understanding of Jesus, and they can't stop talking about it. And when there are people in the room who have been walking with Jesus for 30 years that tear up and, 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 and get happy and joyful about their own salvation, and when they hear the joy, joyful news of a new believer, their heart swells and they get excited, and everybody in the room is built up with a faith and encouragement to tell others about Jesus. That means that Jesus is alive in our lives. It means that we're interacting with Him on a daily basis because when we meet with Jesus, we have to tell people about Jesus. When somebody gets healed by Jesus, do we tell people about it? See what I'm saying? So Jesus, we want more of You and we want to learn how to be fishers of men. Therefore, what did Jesus do when He said, I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men? Uh, They left out a passage of Scripture, but I found it the other day as I was looking through the library he he said so let's go over to my house and we're going to sit down and we're going to do some bible studies and then we're going to go to bed and then we're going to come back and we're going to do some more studies and I'm going to draw in the on the ground and I'm going to teach you with words about me and we're just going to be in the house probably for the next couple of years just you know reading some books and talking and just learning. and You're, you're just going to get really, really smart about me. Did you, have have you all ever read that that, that scripture? No. Uh, is, did that, that, am I making it up? I think so. Oh, okay. So that's not really scripture? No. What did he do? The next thing that he did is he went out into the world and he started living life with his disciples. He started showing them what the kingdom of God looks like. And he taught, I'm not saying he didn't teach, but his teaching came with demonstration. His teaching was, let me tell you something about the kingdom, words, revelation, wisdom, and oh, if you if you want to understand it, let me show you what it looks like. And so, when he says I'm going to call you to Myself, and I want you to be fishers of men, He's not calling us to go out and just talk talk about Him. Which is part of it, but part of it is showing people Jesus. It's revealing people to Jesus. It's encountering Christ in such a way that people experience Christ being around us. The story I shared earlier, this man didn't have a lot of words for this new prisoner, but he had the presence of Christ and the peace of Christ in him. He, he demonstrated to this new man in the prison the peace that God can give someone. Woo! Okay. So it's not just his business, but he wants it to be our business. He wants it, as, he, as John quoted him in his book, he says, I t- Jesus said, I tell you the truth in John 14, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works. Because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. so, can I tell you? I've asked for things in Jesus' name, and He didn't do it. Just going to get it out there. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you said that because that scripture doesn't work for me either. No, it does work. It does work. It's just that I, I just keep on asking, and I keep on looking, and I keep on saying, God, if I haven't seen it, open up my eyes to see it. And God, if I haven't seen it today, I'll see it tomorrow. And if I haven't seen it tomorrow, I'll see it the next day because you promised me and you promised us that greater works will we do than the works that you've done. So if you've called us to be fishers of men and the way that you fish for men is to reveal your kingdom but through your works and revelation, then that means today you want to do the same. So, I don't know what you call it. Proselytizing, evangelism, Getting excited about Jesus, talking, living, loving, encouraging. I'm not hiding my light under a bushel, are you? I'm not letting my light be darkened by somebody else's opinion that we should not talk about it because, you know, you might offend somebody. Well, if I'm telling somebody about jeans and they don't like jeans, so what? I'm gonna tell you about the jeans. If I'm going to tell somebody about the Celtics, and they're Knicks fans, so what? We got Kyrie, yeah. <laughs> right? We don't have a problem with that. If we got something good, we need to talk about it, and we need to share people, share with people the love of Jesus. Okay, I wish I could describe him to you. Okay. So draw, this was Jesus' goal, to draw all men to himself, John 12, 32. And so he reveals himself to his people and he says to his disciples, he says, disciples, reveal me to other people. Tell other people, show other people what it looks like to be in my kingdom. This kingdom is a part of every aspect of our life, our mind, our will, our emotions, our spirit. The kingdom of God impacts everything about us and everything about society. So let's look on and and look a little bit at what this kingdom looks like that Jesus is proclaiming. Verse 21, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum and when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. So here are the words of God. And the people were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of religious law. That authority is... Kind of, the, the root word is author the originator of stuff the originator of new material you know he's not he's not teaching something that's regurgitated they realized that when he was in their presence there was an authority there was an authorship of his teaching that was different and isn't that true when we engage the Word of God even today when the Spirit of God enlightens the word of God, to us as we read it, it's revelatory. And when somebody unpacks the Word of God or teaches the Word of God based on how they've experienced that Word in their life, we go, wow, I want that Word. I want that, that revelation of life to be in my life as well. And this is who Jesus was. And they, people just longed to be in the presence of Jesus' teaching. But people can't try to teach what God has taught. Listen, we, if, if, if the teaching and the authority of God came with revelation and application and it came through Jesus, if we go back to the Bible and somebody opens the Bible and they just teach it like a history book, that's not the revelation of God. Two people can read the same scripture and one can look at it look at it as a literary work or historical work that is taught like a historian or, a, or a liter, a, a, an English teacher or a literature teacher. But a simple person who knows Jesus, who has a relationship with Jesus, can take that word and preach it and you go, wow! That has authority. You've been there. You've heard somebody talk about the Bible, and you're like, I don't even think you know the Bible. Because the Bible is not a book of words. It's the revelation of a person. And his name is Jesus. When you know Jesus, then it's revelatory. You remember what it said about the the disciples in the book of Acts. It said that, that they were that they were uneducated, common men, but the people around them were astonished because they recognized that they had been with Jesus. It's not that they recognized that, well, they'd had two or three years of seminary book knowledge with Jesus. It was that they had lived life with Jesus and his life had impacted who they were. And that's how I want to be. Is that how you want to be? That's what I want. I want wisdom I want wisdom. I want wisdom. I want wisdom in the way that I live because Jesus' life, His very person has impacted me as living in me. Here's another aspect of His authority. Verse 23, Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of that man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. So what does this demonstrate to us? That Jesus is revealing that this this relationship with him is really, is is about this world. He touches physical bodies. He heals minds and hearts. But it's also about another world. The world that really is, there is a spiritual battle going on over people's lives. And Jesus is calling out the demonic. He's calling out, the oppression. He's calling out the depression. He's calling out the things that are attached to, to this evil world. He's calling out the addictions. And he's saying, let my people go. I want them to be free. What's the, what's another aspect of demonic stronghold? What do we know about the devil who is the king of demons? What do we know about the devil in scripture? He is the father of lies. So what is the key aspect of deliverance or uh, warfare that Jesus does with people that are under the influence of demonic powers. Truth. He brings truth to deception. He brings order to chaos. He brings enlightenment to confusion. He brings truth. It says, I am the truth, and the truth sets us free. So, if we're confused about God, if we're we're walking in unbelief about God, if if there is something that we're struggling with that's contrary to the way that Jesus has revealed Himself, it's probably true that we we are in a flesh, a sin battle, but we're probably in a demonic battle. We're probably hearing whispers and lies that are not coming from Jesus. And when we approach Jesus, Jesus sets us free. How many of you have ever been in a temptation? You're tempted by something that you don't, you know that you that is not right for you, is not good for you. And if you have learned how to walk in freedom, you realize that the very best way to overcome that temptation is what? Confess what is true. That, that's not going to be good for me. What's good for me is da 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 da, right? That's not, that's not going to make me happy. That sexual experience is not going to make me happy. I, only, I know that that's going to produce bondage in my life. But I know that if I walk in purity, I, I have peace and I wake up without condemnation. And we start quoting not only the revelation of truth, but if you're even more aggressive, you start quoting scripture that attaches to that. You replace the lies of the enemy for truth. And then what Laura said, Sometimes is the last defense. Sometimes there is literally an oppression that we feel. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but for those of us who have walked with the Lord long enough, many of us have experienced what we sense is demonic oppression in our life. In those moments, there's only one thing you have to do. It's call out to Jesus. And Jesus sets us up for victory. He protects he cares for us. And he sets us free. Jesus. 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 Because that's what he did when he was on earth. He set people free from their prisons. And sometimes that's a demonic prison. And he gives us his truth. Last thing, and then we're going to stand up. He also is a healer of the physical body. And We're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come. But let's look at this. He, he healed M- Peter's in Mark 1. He he goes to Peter's, mother, Peter's mother-in-law, who has a fever, and he touches her and, and, and draws the fever out of her and makes her whole. After that, the whole town comes to his house after dark and sits around and gets healed. He said he heals many people at, his house, at the house. And then verse 40, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. This is really important. Really important for us to hear. It says, if you are willing, this is the leper, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with, the com- with compassion, we get to, get to see the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. He had compassion on this leper. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing. I am willing. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Jesus wants to heal our diseases. He wants to heal our sicknesses I want you to know something I've prayed for the sick and they haven't been healed just want to get get that out there I have prayed for my own healing and I have not been healed immediately I've prayed for my own healing and I have walked in a sickness for a long time But that doesn't change the fact that God wants to heal I just keep on asking let me tell you something else I've prayed for the sick and they've been healed I've prayed over my own body, and I've seen healing. I was just the other day thinking about my, my own life and thank God, thanking God for other things and for many things, and all of a sudden the Lord said, do you remember that headache that you had for six months? I said, what headache, Lord? You know the one that you had an MRI for in May? Yes, Lord. You know the one that you thought was kind of like cancer or something that was going to kill you? You know what happens when you, you can't get a risk. It was like, you know, everything is always like the end of the world kind of scenario. Remember that, Sean? Yes, Lord. Do you have that headache anymore? No? Thank me. I healed you. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) And I rejoiced. Sometimes we don't even recognize the healing of God. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a deliverer. Jesus walks in authority and brings revelation. Jesus is the truth that overcomes the lies. Jesus is the one who calls us to himself and teaches us how to be fishers of men. Stand up with me. Come on up, Ben. When Jesus calls, I'll go back to this call at the beginning of of the message and in the middle of Mark 1. When Jesus calls, we have an opportunity or a choice to respond. I believe that probably many of the, many people in this room have, have responded to that initial call, but I'm, I'm sure that at any given time on a Sunday morning, there's others that are wrestling with it, whether Jesus is real or not. So we're so glad that you're here, that we're all here saying, Jesus, do you have something for me today? But when Jesus calls, we have a choice to respond. And I want to just say this to you. If you are here listening to the Word of God this morning, Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you. You're at the the shore of the lake, and he is looking at you, and he's saying, John, Sarah, Steve, Mary, Abdul, come and follow me. Come follow me. Come and live with me. Come and walk with me. And so he's calling us this morning, and he doesn't just call us one time. And what I mean by that is I'm not talking about multiple salvations. What I'm saying is every morning that we wake up, he says, sean come follow me today it's not just a one-time thing it's not a one-time experience it's a relationship and so today you came to church i hope and believe it's because you were walking with jesus and jesus said let's go to church today let's let's go to antioch watham and see what's going on i want to be there with you and when we walk with jesus He has something unique and different for each one of us in the room. That's what's beautiful about God is that as we respond here in just a moment, we can go a hundred different directions if we're able to see it because God knows what you are all about and He knows what He's calling you to. So what is Jesus doing in your life right now? Is He calling you to follow? Is He calling you to lay down your nets and put Him first? Is He delivering you from lies and deception? Is He wanting to heal your body? What's God doing? What's He God calling you to this morning? So, as the band leads, I want to call you forward. As we did last week, we want to pray. We want to pray for all those things. Whether it's sickness, whether it's a response uh, to following Him in a relationship, whether it's uh, some other prayer need that you're feeling like that Jesus, as you're walking with Him, is highlighting and you'd like to respond to. I want to invite you to do that this morning. So. Come on forward uh, and let's allow the Lord to minister to you and pray with you.